Welcome to the Benefits Executive Roundtable, hosted by Dorothy Koshu, President of Advanced Benefit Consulting. Dorothy is a nationally recognized benefits and compliance consultant and group health broker. Here, you'll listen to industry experts break down the latest news and trends in employee benefits, healthcare reform, regulations and compliance, all designed to empower executive decisions. Welcome to the Benefits Executive Roundtable. I'm your host, Dorothy Koshu, President of Advanced Benefit Consulting. In today's podcast, we're taking excerpts from our January 24th, 2023 in-person Lunch and Learn program on recruiting talent, challenges and opportunities in a post-COVID world. Because this was recorded live with an audience, please be aware and forgive any background noises, audience question distortion, etc. I want to thank my guest today, Kathy Rafino, Vice President of Train Me Today, which is an HR consulting and training firm, as well as Marilyn Monahan, which many of you know, our benefits and insurance attorney with Monahan Law Office. We hope that you enjoy today's podcast. Welcome back, everyone. We're now beginning session two of our Lunch and Learn Recruiting Talent, Challenges and Opportunities in a Post-COVID World. I want to welcome back our panelists for this session, Kathy Rafino, Vice President and Consultant for Train Me Today, and Marilyn Monahan, our Benefits and Insurance Attorney from Monahan Law Office. Welcome back, ladies. Let's get started with session two. If you have questions, as we did in session one, please just raise your hand if you're in the room with us. And for those of you online on Zoom, continue to use the chat function to ask your question. We're going to be monitoring the chat throughout all the sessions today. So we're going to talk about recruiting because we know that's a hot button for everybody right now, recruiting and retaining talent. Um, you get the three of us again. Me but I'm only going to be a color commentator. That's all I'm going to do. <laughs> color commentator. I like being a color commentator. Okay, so we're going to, again, as, as Dorothy said before, you guys can read what the summary is on this, and we're going to go ahead and move into the actual um, topic because I know that's really the meat and potatoes of what you're here to hear. Um, so post-COVID, we know this has been a struggle, um, and I don't know that it's simply because of COVID. I think COVID was a catalyst for everybody rethinking their recruiting and their jobs and what they wanted to do and where their life is and, and everything else in between. So we, did, we have seen employee engagement diminish. Um, FYI, this quiet quitting comment is just the new slang for employee engagement. Quiet quitting is employee engagement is down. They're not quietly quitting. What they're telling you is, I'm not going to do seven jobs for the, for the pay of one. That's the quitting part. Um, those of us who have been in, employed for years, we all used to think that it was important that we work these you know, 40 hour weeks plus another 20 over the weekend, and that's how you got ahead. This new generation after COVID showed them life work balance is important. They're saying, no, you know what? I'll work 40 hours. That's what you pay me for. That's what I'll do. Is it wrong? Uh, you know? That's what we hired them for, 40 hours. So it's an assessment and it's a reality we have to think about. Um, we have seen that people have rediscovered or are newly discovering that they actually have a life and they enjoy it. So that's part of the problem too. They're gonna be a little more choosy on the jobs that they take and who they work for because it, ha it has to give them room for life. We also know that they have um, shifted in labor force demands. We know there's a lot of people out there who are qualified we're just not getting them to come to us. So you're going to have to rethink your recruiting methods. Um, employers are getting a shrink in their labor pool because of that. So the people who were easily you know, filling our jobs before, not so easy. For a myriad of reasons, but not so easy. Um, there's new labor laws that have created a crunch for us. You know, minimum wage went up. That's a crunch. Um, and then there's a lot more in there. 
Okay, so what are your job applicants looking for? A lot. And not necessarily that they want everything and you get nothing. Clearly you're going to get a worker and you're going to still have performance goals and, and metrics that they have to achieve. But they are definitely looking for better pay and benefits. They're looking for flexibility in their work schedule. They're looking to have a life. They're looking to be remote or at least hybrid. So a lot of you have probably heard that, that people say, well, can I work partly at home or can I work from home all the time? And when you say no, they're like, okay. And then they move on to the next person. Um, they are looking for advancement opportunities. And that can be in the form of learning too. It doesn't have to be like a position move. It can be learning new skills. And it, they're looking for you to value them. Recognize their hard work. Recognize what they contribute to your organization's success. It doesn't have to always be monetary, but it has to be sincere and authentic. So the question is, well, you know, can we do this job remotely? And a lot of times we hear employers go, no, nothing, can't be. Don't be so quick. You're losing good talent by those quick no's. I get that there is more synergy when people are on site and they're working together, we get that. There are some jobs that lend themselves to not being remote, things like manufacturing, obviously cannot production. be. Product production line. Production mm -hmm. lines, <laughs> banking, mm -hmm. you know, I can't give you your money if I'm not there. So there are certain positions that will never be um, remote because we just can't do it that way. But could they be hybrid? Possibly. Um, you need to ask the right questions though when you're thinking about this. What are the essential functions of the job? And if those essential functions cannot be done at home, then it's not a remote position. And that even means things like confidential information. <clears throat> Can you do those things at home if the confidential information you're dealing with in your job would be exposed to other people? You can't guarantee the confidentiality, then that's not a remote job. Right? So there are little things that you have to think about. Um, um, and related yeah. to that would also be technology, which I think we're going to talk we're more about later that. on. But if you can't, um, if uh, they're, they're working with a lot of confidential information and their only option is to use the family computer, mm -hmm. right. then you've got issues. Um, so can you support them you by be, providing them with a company oh, laptop, a company to, cell phone? To solve phone. that problem, yes, yeah, yeah. by there's, to bring your own device and make sure that they have a company yeah. device and you can solve those, those types of problems. You have to think through each level of that. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so you also need to ask them, you know, ask yourselves, how are you going to manage these people? Can't manage remote people the same way we manage people on site. Why? Because we can see what they're doing when they're here. You know, um, how do we monitor that? How do we manage that when they're remote? Fairly, realistically, okay? And that, there's a lot of trust factor in that, okay? Um, how do you keep them engaged? This is one of the biggest questions we get. I get this from my students all the time. I have all my employees who are remote and everybody feels really distant and disconnected. How do we keep them engaged? I just had this conversation in class last night with everyone. And listen, I will tell you the one thing I found out, Ask your employees, they had amazing ideas. My students had amazing ideas, and I'm like, oh, I'm writing them down. <laughs> I'll use that one. And, and um, that's where we, when Ted and I are going to be covering that in the, in the last session, yeah. too, and that's where we get a lot of those, because Marilyn, you and I talked about this mm -hmm. on the phone, and, and Kathy as well. Um, yeah, that's where a lot of our questions, a lot of our ideas come from, too. We have privacy training. You guys bring up good things to us for yeah. us to consider so that we can share later on and yeah. kind of figure out how to make it work. Yeah, you don't have to have all the answers, but you need to know where to find them. That's what makes good HR people, by the way. We don't have all the answers, but we know where to find them. <laughs> 
So, and then you need to weigh the cost of this. What does it cost you to have people remote? What does it cost you not to? That is right now the big question. We have these hard no's about remote workers. What are you losing in that hard no? You're probably losing about 40 to 60% of the potential Easily. prospects out Easily. there. Easily. Easily, yeah. if not more. Yeah, and you know, it's, it's a big number. It's a big number in a tight market. So you have to really think about that. So weigh your costs out. Okay, so how are you gonna offer you know, these cost-effective you know, additional benefits that everybody's asking for? Because they are. They've asked for more. And so you have to really think about this. And here's the thing. Think outside the regular menu that you always offer. Think outside the box. There is no one-size-fits-all because your company's benefits, what you offer to people, should reflect what you are saying your company is about. So if you're saying we are the work-life balance company, then you should be offering things that support that work-life balance so that people say, oh, okay, this is who you are. You know, live your brand. Did you want to add to that? Well, I don't know if this is uh, talking about incentives generally. I, I, I thought it was interesting that this is such a hot topic. I saw two articles this weekend in the New York Times or the Washington Post just about remote workers and how to deal with them. And one was rethinking the company cafeteria. The old days of having a large company cafeteria where everyone meets at noon for a subsidized meal is kind of going away because that's less attractive to people and there aren't as many people to fill up the cap company cafeteria. So employers are now re-looking at things. They're breaking up the cafeteria. They're making it smaller. They're making it more of a meeting area. They're providing other things, ping pong tables or whatever, for people to spend a little bit more time together as opposed to grabbing a sandwich and leaving. So even that has, um, so that's just another way where they're throwing out the old rules and looking at new rules and what do employees really want. You know, they quoted someone as saying free pizza is just not going to cut it anymore. That's, that's just not sufficiently attractive to get people to show up every day for work. Um, this is a little off topic, but I also thought it was interesting. There was another article I was reading that apparently uh, Spain, as well as 25 other countries, are offering new visas for people who want to work remotely. So you can move to Spain as long as you're not working for a Spanish company. And um, they'll give you a, a one-year visa and, um, to, to move to Spain and to live there if you have a remote job. So um, there's all sorts of lots of opportunities for your employees, if you're open to them, to move all over the world, maybe at a lower cost of living or more, a change of pace. And so they might start looking at some of those things. And that's the kind, and you might be fighting for those workers. Yeah. I have millennials that want to come to work in their pajamas. <laughs> I'm not joking. Yeah. Millennials that want to come to work in their pajamas. I am not joking. So much for dress codes. <laughs> well, and you know, the funny thing is, you know, people are, people are always very interesting when it comes to generational things, but truth be told, I mean, I've been in HR almost 30 years, and truth be told, the most disgruntled employees are the 40-year-olds, that 40-year-old range. And it's really typically because they feel like they should be further along in their career. We are flatlined you know, organizations now. We don't have as many hierarchies, so there's not as many management positions to promote to. So less opportunity for that advancement, and people get frustrated. They don't want to leave the company. They like the people they work for, but... And so a lot of times when you see disengagement, it's right about that area where it's the new ones don't know yet. They're, they're just like starting. But you get those, that 40-something age group, and all of a sudden it's like, why am I still 
you know, a clerk? Why am I still an admin? Yeah. I should be a manager or supervisor. So, you know, um, I, you know, every generation has their thing. I don't have a problem with millennials. I'm probably that odd person out. I really don't. Maybe because I have one. <laughs> well, one, of, one of the things on the slide here is on-site daycare or off-site daycare subsidies. What have you seen there? I, I so see a lot of interest in that. On-site daycare is always an interest for the employees, not so much for the employer. The insurance for that it's is huge. phenomenal. The risk of having a child care center on-site is incredibly expensive from the insurance and safety perspective and lawsuits. So a lot of employers pulled away from that. Now, the subsidies where they will say, hey, you go find the daycare center and here's who will subsidize some of that, sure. That's always attractive, especially for parents who are working hourly wages because daycare is expensive. We all know that. I mean, mine aren't little anymore, and it was expensive when mine were little. So I can't even imagine what yeah. it is right now. But, yeah, and, and one of the things that we're seeing a lot too is that, again, we're, we're going to be talking about this more yeah. a little bit later on, is student debt and tuition assistance, especially the people just recently graduated from college, um, you know, all the 20-somethings and mm -hmm. so forth, and even 30-somethings, they're still carrying forward that college debt. Mm -hmm. um, if you can find a way to help pay for that, you're going to get more of that age mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and, and some really skilled people, and you know, you're coming fresh out of college or just a few years out right. of college, new fresh technical, especially in anything technology, right? Because well, and keep in mind, you know, in the '80s, tuition reimbursement was a standard. Yeah, like that was a common thing in businesses. Yeah. We we just did tuition reimbursement, and then it kind of went away. But now it's something to think about again because, as you said, it's we're getting a big incentives cost. to do it by the government now. It's <laughs> again well, and it's a big cost. It's huge. But you can tie it to things. So you know, in the back of the day, um, when I worked for Boeing, our our plans were always tied to very specific things. It's like you have to get at least a C in your classes. You get reimbursed. You don't just get the money up front. Um, it has to be a bachelor's degree based in this. Um, it has to be you know we'll do the masters. They never did PhDs and doctorates. It was like, no, you're on your own for that one. Um, but it had to be really specific, and there was things tied to it um, that they got. If you got a C, I think you got like 70% reimbursement. If you got a B, you got 80. And if you got an A, you got 100% reimbursed. <laughs> so I'm very funny. about this, if I could just ask really quickly. Yeah. What about the idea that, well, we, we played around with this like years ago, but part of it is that it's cost prohibitive for us to do it for our direct service hourly staff, right? And anyways, there's a very high revolving door in, in that, um, in our industry, I think every industry. But is it permissible, legal to offer it across the board in a certain tier, title, position, you know, just to make sure it's not just you, you but anybody in this position we're offering this. Is that something? You can that, do it by class. So you can say only managers or only supervisors and up or only, you know, people who have, you know, their MFTs or what, you know, going for this will reimburse that. You can, but you have to be really specific in the language. If you're going to do that, I would advise you to get counsel to review it before you implement it just to make sure you didn't miss anything because we don't want anybody feeling they're discriminated against or singled out, right? Employment decisions like that have to be offered. That opportunity has to be available to everyone within that class or group. So you can do it that way. Um, and so there's a lot of things that you guys can think about um, as incentives. And again, this is just a short list. There can be numerous things that you're thinking of for your organization that would work in your industry. Don't, don't just 
kind of skim over that stuff, consider anything. Anything that you might consider could be that thing that brings people to you and keeps people with you. Okay? The worst thing is getting hiring all these people, training them, and then have them leave six months later because they got some they found somebody else is going to give them more of these benefits and, and or higher pay. Yeah. And it's usually, a lot of times it's not the higher pay they want. They, of course they want that, but that's not right. the most important thing anymore. It's these other these other it is the other things. And, you know, to that point of, you know, we always struggle with if I give them this and then they're just going to take those skills and that knowledge somewhere else. Yes, that's true. It's a possibility. So you can tie things like education reimbursement to a time frame and say, you, if you do this, you agree. So I know back in the days, um, we used to tie it and say, if you leave within X amount of years, <laughs> You have to be realistic about this. So a bachelor's, I think, was one year, and master's was two. If you leave, you have to reimburse us, prorated. And you have to be really specific what that means. And again, you would have to have counsel review that to make sure you're not stepping on any toes from a legal perspective. But you can, you can craft this stuff that works um, and gives you that incentive. Will it stop people from leaving? No, because people don't leave just based on benefits and pay and child subsidies. They leave because they don't like management. More employees quit because of their management than anything else. So you can ask for reimbursement, but you cannot take it from their health stage, right? No. They have to voluntarily say, here you go. You cannot deduct that from their paycheck, yeah. So that's a separate agreement yeah. if you're going to do reimbursement. There should be a process in place of how they apply for it, what the conditions are attached to it. Yeah, that should be separate. Okay. so. What makes a job seeker want to come and, and work for you? Well, here's the thing. You have to develop your employer value proposition. Employees today, candidates today, are looking for purpose. What is the purpose of your company and why would I want to work for you? It's no longer I just need a job. They are in high demand. They know they can work anywhere they want right now. They're in high demand. What makes you different? What brings them to you? What makes them say, you know what? I want to work for this company because, wow, look at all the things. Look what they believe in. So employer value propositions tell the candidates who you are, what you stand for. Um, show them who you are. Don't be afraid to say that. But be authentic and true about who you are because, trust me, if you're not who you say you were, they will leave quite quickly. Okay? And that's costly, Right? So what does that look like? Here's a couple examples of what value proposition statements look like from employers. And it tells people who they are. The emphasis for HubSpot is that, you know, they treat employees like people, not like, you know, the bottom line. They value who you are. So they say, you know, employees are whole people with families, hobbies, and lives outside of work. We work remotely, keep non-traditional hours, and use unlimited vacation. Unlimited vacation to create work-life fit for us and the people we love. And can I just add, I think yeah. you can send that message in a number of ways. Mm -hmm. For example, you know, they have it in their value proposition, but questions I've had in the past are, what about, do we have to offer paternity, paternity leave? Well, one thing you might be saying, even if you've got a, a job applicant who's coming to you who might never have to take advantage of paternity leave, they might like the fact of working for a company mm -hmm. that is thinking about those things and that is looking at the, um, their workforce and is offering those kinds of opportunities. Mm -hmm. Maybe they like the idea of being able to take a sabbatical to go and um, 
work on for some nonprofit or, or do some volunteer work that's very important to them. Those kinds of opportunities might be very attractive to them. Mm-hmm. Or again, they may not want to take advantage of it because um, they've got a family they can't leave for three months to work for or to do some volunteer work. But they might like the idea that that's something that you're going to offer to people and it shows that you care about these things. Right. And these are things that they're putting in their job postings. They're telling people up front, this is who we are, come work for us. That's a pretty attractive statement to say, wait, what? You value my life outside of work? Huh, I might want to work for you. Back in the day when Google first started out, why'd we all want to work there? Wait, what? They have games on site? We can play tennis and and (laughs) basketball and we can play ping pong and we have video games? Yeah, (laughs) sign me up, right? Those are the things that tell us who that company is, that they value people enough that they want to present this kind of an image and they want you to be living that life with and, you know, within the company and outside in your own personal life. So this is the stuff you need to start thinking about because this is what's going to attract candidates in the first place. And I would say two jobs that actually are sexy like that. I mean, 80% of jobs that people are in are mundane and hard. They don't have the match of the Googles or the Apples. You don't have to have a Google. You don't have to be a huge no. Google to have fun things, for example, to show the employees. Yeah. Like at the end of the day, you're still dealing with a lot of what the colleges are churning out and the expectations that they have that they only want to work for the sexy companies. And then when you do get them in and they realize that the job is mundane mm-hmm. and it is a nine to I think it depends on attitude. I think it depends on attitude, though. Yes, there are jobs that are very routine. Payroll's a very routine job. Um, There are people in payroll who just live the life. I mean, they are the most fun people to be around, and they just, you know, yeah, there's crazy stuff that happens in payroll, and people don't do what they're supposed to do, like turning time cards and and yes, some people would say, oh, payroll is definitely not a sexy job. It's not fun. It's, but there are people who I've worked with over the years who just like make it attractive and they just have a really good attitude about what they're doing. How do you get those people? By living your proposition. If you tell them this is who we are and it's truly who you are, your core values are in place. Oh, Even the most money. I look at people in our industry, it's great fun. Well, it doesn't have to be fun off the top like Disney. It doesn't have to be Google. It does, you know, as you said, it doesn't have to be Google. It has to be authentic and true to your organization. People who are going into shipping and receiving know that it's not going to be super fun. It's shipping and receiving. But I also know people who are really happy with their job. And most employees want to do a really good job. Most people don't get hired on a place and go, you know what, I can't wait to screw your job up. <laughs> like, my goal in life is going to be to be the worst employee I can possibly be. That's not how we enter. How do we know that? Because the very first question we ask people when we meet them is, hi, what do you do? Yeah. What do you do? As in, what do you work at? That's how we identify. So it's important to be in, in an organization that we identify with. So, you know, I'm a more positive approach person. Um, if you can't get out of your own way, then neither will your employees. And maybe it's a mundane job, but they really like their manager and right. their manager, so they're going to say, or they really like the owner, so they're going to say right. great things about it. This is probably an extreme example, but a few years ago, I took a tour of the Zappos factory. Oh yeah, and they're basically it's basically a call center. I mean, they're taking orders over the phone, but their office is just out of this world, and they've got all sorts yeah. of perks. So that's a little extreme because. 
you know, not all companies are going to be able to adapt that kind of a thing, but uh, they've, they've found a way to make the workplace fun and to make it a little bit more interesting, even though their people are taking orders all day long. And the thing is, because Tony Tsai, who, who led Zappos for years before his death, his whole philosophy was, we are a customer service company. We are nothing more, nothing less, but we are going to be the best at customer service. Like you said, the most mundane thing to take those calls day in and day out, hour after hour. But his employees, um, yeah, we all did that. We all did that tour <laughs> when they were at the Sherm conference. Oh, we yes, all we all went there. We were all really jealous. We all wanted to be in their HR department. We're like, yes. um, <laughs> something really super mundane, routine, you know, day after day, customer complaints, and they never blinked because they made it with great leadership. They made it exactly what it was supposed to be. Our focus is customer service, and we're going to be the best at it. That was their simple value proposition. We're the best at what we do, customer service. So here's the thing. We always want the great people, right, the A players. So here's what you need to think about how you're conducting the interview. Use more than one qualified interviewer whenever you can. Why? Because it shortens your bias. It gives you a better view. Now, when we do that, Marilyn's going to go interview the candidate. She's not going to come and tell me what she thought. I'm going to wait and hear her thoughts after I interview that person. Why? Because neither one of us then influences the other person's view of that person. And you get a much better view of who that person may be. So use more than one person if you can. Um, ask success prediction questions. Dig in. Ask a question about the two person. Yeah. What about developing a rubric? Where two people, because this is what we do, a rubric where two people are independently rating them on that same rubric, but both people are in there at the same time. Is that as good as the two different, you it's, know? It's not as good because you're influencing each other even just by virtue of the fact that you're in there. So it's, and candidates could answer her question very differently than they would answer mine, depending on our personalities and how we approach the question. So it's a very different vibe. Um, but if that's what you want to do, then yeah. I would do that. At least it's something. I'm just wondering, like, if the rubric said, if they contain this type of quality mm -hmm. of answer, then that's the one. I'm just making up. If it's this, it's a two. Like, so it's not so subjective. We're looking for, like, content or, you know, I'm wondering if that might help in that area or not. Because it's really hard, I think, at least for us, I would suspect for others to have that time where one person does it and then the other, and then also the interviewees are not wanting to schedule multiple meetings mm -hmm. to meet with different people when they're not even hired. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, that's at least what we're finding. You have to do what works for your organization. So if two interviews doesn't work, then do the rubric. That's where you feel comfortable. Just make sure that the criteria is specific to what you're hiring for. So there's some psychology behind all these profiles that happen and everybody thinks that they can create them. If you are not a true professional psychiatrist, you can't create them. It's just your subjective opinion about what is supposed to be in that profile. So there is actual work that happens behind these things that's proven with a lot of data. Um, so if you're going to do a profile, you choose a professional one. Um, make sure you're asking questions, you know, things that help you determine if that person's going to be a good fit for your organization, find out what they like. What are they passionate about? You know, pay attention to the patterns that they tell you about their previous jobs. You know, why, what was it when they had job A 
made them accept that job. What about job B? So if they keep saying the same kind of things, if it's money, 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 well, then there's your answer. Um, if it's something like, well, you know, I have the opportunity to do this, this, and this, and it's the common theme between all their jobs, then you know if this job is not going to offer them that opportunity, they won't stay. If that is what was passionate for them in all their previous jobs and that's not what's going to be offered, you're probably not going to keep that person, okay? Um, the money people, those aren't your A players anyway. If all they're asking for is money, they can get that anywhere. That's not your A player, that's a body. Maybe a short-term body, maybe a long-term body, but it could also be a problem body. <laughs> so um, if it's a lackluster employee they, or candidate, they don't really appear to really want to be there, then they probably really don't want to be here, <laughs> okay? Um, you need to choose that. Don't hire warm bodies just because you need a warm body. They're not going to turn and um, be successful. Note to the wise, please stop taking people around when you're interviewing them after the interview going, here, let me show you around and introduce you to everybody. It sends a really bad message. People walk out of there going, I got the job. Thinking you're going to call them in the next day or two and offer them a job. Why would you introduce them to everyone if you weren't? Please stop doing that. It's really bad. It's bad PR for your company because now when they don't get the job, they're going to tell everybody how horrible you were because why did they bother taking me around? I cannot tell you how many times I hear that. Well, they took me around. I think I got the job. Yeah, I wouldn't hold my breath. Because they tell me how the interview went. I'm like, mm, yeah, you don't have the job. <laughs> and then they go, but they introduced me to everyone, Kathy. And I'm like, okay, well, shame on them. <laughs> you don't have the job. I even had to say that to my poor son. I'm like, honey, it's a no. <laughs> I love you, but it's a no. Um, okay, so how do you retain your employees? Culture is everything. People stay where they feel that they are valued, where they feel that your value propositions or your core values that you say your company is about, that you actually are demonstrating those every single day. And it has to be real. I'm going to repeat what you be said real. because people will, even if they don't figure it out during the interview, they'll figure it out in the first week if, it's, if you don't mm -hmm. walk the walk. Yep, exactly. Um, you have to provide them learning and development opportunities. People want to grow. It doesn't have to be big positions. Um, it can be new skills. It can be things that increase their self-worth or how they see their value within your organization. You know, supervisor and manager training. I will tell you in the last couple of years, the leadership training I have been doing has just like blasted off this earth. I have done more leadership training than any other training I have done in the last two years. Probably 90% of my time is on leadership now. Wow. And organizations have discovered, however they discovered it, that we promote people into management positions and they have no skills in which to manage. They have no idea how to be a manager or a supervisor. They have no idea how to stop being friends with their coworkers and now they have to manage them. So the biggest class I teach right now is management essentials, teaching all these new supervisors how to be supervisors. Make sure you give them those skill sets. If you're promoting people, make sure they're ready. Okay, and keep this in mind, the high performers are not necessarily always the best managers. Do not promote people just because they're high performers. That's their skill set. People skills is a whole other thing. So they can produce like nobody's business, but you put them in management, you have problems because yeah, they don't have those skills. you just lost a great producer too. Yeah, yeah, you just lost a great producer too. I had a client years ago that was a medical device company, and they had a lot of engineers who designed. They had a whole wall of patents, that, uh, but they made it a point to tell their engineers, if you want to be an engineer, this is what you love to do. 
we will not stunt your your professional growth. You will mm -hmm. still get raises. You will still get opportunities. There's a path for those who want to manage. There's a path for those who want to be engineers. And you're going to be on. You're you're going to both have um, opportunities to promote and get money and so forth. Right. Yeah, because management isn't for everyone. No. I mean, I had an employee who was amazing at her job, and her manager kept wanting to promote her, and she kept coming into my office saying, don't let her promote me, don't let her promote me, I don't want to be in management. And she did it behind her back in a town hall meeting, announced that she was promoted. Oh, she gosh. quit the next day. 11-year employee, she was one of our best employees, like amazing employee. Like if I could have carbon copied her, I would have 10 times over. And I could not talk her into sin. She was in tears. She said, I begged and pleaded you guys not to do this. I did not want this position. Because she knew about herself one big thing. She's not management material. She tried it years ago in her career, and she said, I, is, I sucked at it. I was horrible. So she never wanted to be there again. You need to do the work. Find out if that's going to be something that they can do. You need to re-engage with your workforce. We've had some funky years. These past three to four years have been quite interesting. Um, with people going, you know, off work, with people going remote, with people going hybrid and now trying to come back, and some people still staying hybrid or remote, we need to find ways to re-engage and reconnect, okay? You need to do that for your employees and for your company. And it doesn't have to be a one-size-fits-all again, so just reconnect with everybody. And then pay equitably, we cannot say this enough. You all know that people want money. Do they want ridiculous amounts? Yeah, there's some of those out there. What they really want, though, is don't tell me you're going to give me $10 an hour for doing 16 million jobs. Be realistic. And, you, you know, ask yourselves, would I take this job for that kind of money? Probably not. And if you would say no in your own mind, you're probably not paying that person equitably either. Okay? Make it realistic. I want to now go over our attendee questions that were submitted in advance. Each attendee was asked if they would like to submit questions in advance for our panelists to be sure that they're going to be asked during the training. So for this topic and session, here's a question that was sent to us in advance. Recruiting talent. Candidate looks good on paper and comes for an interview. What are good behavioral-based interview questions to help determine the candidate's personality traits and determine if they fit the position being offered and will fit in with the company culture? Wow, that's a great question. Kathy, what are your thoughts on this? So the, the rule is this. You find the employee that you think is doing an amazing job at that job. What are the characteristics that that employee possesses? That's what you're trying to hire for. Because that person is successful. They're a good employee. That's what they're doing. So if you can find somebody who has similar characteristics, that's what you're looking for. Behavior-based interview questions should be open-ended. So they cannot answer it by a yes or a no. You ask things that will help you understand what was an issue or a situation that they were in, what, you know, who was involved in it, how did they resolve it, what was the outcome. It tells you how they're thinking. It tells you how they're approaching. Red flags, it's always the manager's fault. They wouldn't let me do what I needed to. The company holds us back. So if they're always blaming somebody else, that's not somebody who's accountable. Yeah. So look for those things. Thanks, Kathy. Great response. Uh, that was it for the advanced questions for session two, but we did have some great questions live in the room and online today, so thank you very much. I want to thank my guests, Kathy Ruffino and Marilyn Monahan, for their participation in this podcast today. You can reach Kathy at kathy at trainmetoday.com and Marilyn at marilyn at monahanlawoffice.com. For the complete video recording offered with and without HRCI credit, please visit our on-demand education platform, the Empowered Education Center, found on our website at advancedbenefitconsulting.com. 
to everyone out there, please stay safe, stay healthy, and stay tuned for the next episode of the Benefits Executive Roundtable. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for compliance tips, cost containment ideas, new trends, and decision-making tools. This podcast is produced by Advanced Benefit Consulting, Anaheim, California. All views expressed are those of the host or interviewees and not necessarily those of Advanced Benefit Consulting. Information contained herein should not be construed as legal advice. We always recommend that you consult with your legal counsel as situations do vary. Ms. Koshu can be reached at 714-693-9754, extension 3. Toll free at 866-658-3835 or visit our website at advancedbenefitconsulting.com.